This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Mr. Michael Vecchione. And if we, uh, if you thought we couldn't top last to- uh, the last story we did about the uh, used condom salesman or saleswoman or both, I suppose, this one is uh, perhaps even a little more absurd, but... Uh, before we start, please introduce, or I guess as we start, please introduce yourself for all the new listeners, Mr. Vecchio. Sure. I'm Michael Vecchione, and I was the um, chief of the rackets division in the Brooklyn District Attorney's Office from uh, uh, until, it, uh, not from, until I retired in 2013. Um, I had been there for about 30 years, all total. And um, I also spent about 10 years in private practice. So um, I've seen many cases from many different perspectives and many investigations from the same uh, different perspectives. Uh, But the one we're about to talk to to talk about today, um, it's a little different because it's not one of these violent cases. It's a case that um, is kind of in the category of a comedy, really, when you think about it. And, um, and it was one that uh, that made us all laugh at the DA's office when we uh, when we uncovered what we will talk about in a few seconds. So, um, so that's that's what we're going to talk about. Hopefully, uh, your listeners uh, and viewers will enjoy it. I think it's a uh, it, it's going to make them laugh a little bit. So, yeah. um, so you want to you want to ask me a question, or do you want me to start, or what? Uh, whatever way you want so for everyone listening we've gone through a couple of these stories before obviously you can see the books over his shoulder are also the ones uh, we've talked about which are available on uh, audible not all of them on audible but they are all on kindle uh friends uh friends of the family crooked brooklyn and then obviously behind the murder curtain with special agent bruce sackman and we've gone through several of these stories before the kind of shorter ones you know uh yeah. hand of the hand of the killer you know murder on the bridge We've done these sort of lighter ones, or the uh, the maraschino cherries. Last week, or not last week, last time, obviously, as I said at the beginning, we talked about the used condom saleswoman. So these are just kind of more of the absurd stories from your your time as the chief. And um, again, for anyone interesting interested in these, the stories, your books are more so just kind of larger collections and more fleshed out versions of these stories but this one is yeah you know in comparison to you know just blood and rape and burning bodies and seemingly horrific things we normally talk about this one's a a a better pace not not light for the guy that you know got got fucked out of his 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 mortgage or his his purchase at an auction but this one is a little more i guess all things considered yeah yeah, it's a little. It's a little more, you know, not rape and leaving other men's right. semen it's, on a body. Not a, not a It's correct. Not a violent crime, but uh, but you know, we in the rackets uh, division did many many different kinds of cases, and uh, not all of them were you know blood and guts. Um, there were a lot of fraud cases, and um, and it's not to minimize, as you said, you know, the hurt that was uh, that the the victim of the fraud suffered because that's not really what i'm talking about it's the way that this fraud was 
was perpetrated that uh, that gave us uh, you know a chuckle at the uh, at the office and um, you know it's uh, it's one though that is very very um, I guess apropos of even today because the um, the the way that that this individual who the victim was had his house essentially stolen from him can happen today and does very does happen today um, and can happen to anybody so it's kind of a I don't want to say a lesson, but uh, but there is a lesson in here for people who do own houses, and and uh, they shouldn't take necessarily things for granted about uh, the the security of the paperwork that they have. For instance, a deed, you know, a deed can be can be forged pretty quickly, and um, and then the fraudster and the forger can take the deed and um, pretend that the house is his and go and borrow money on it, and um, and. And then when he defaults on it, the real owner of the house becomes uh, liable for um, you know for that uh, for that money. So so this is the kind of thing that um, that I think people need to pay attention to and to worry about, um, especially homeowners because they are vulnerable. So um, so why don't I get into this and let let's uh, let's see you know what you think, Tom, and and of course you can stop me with any questions, but. Um, let me tell you if the the name that I call this, and this is not part of any collection of stories yet. I mean, I'm I, I have so many that I can't put them all into uh, you know into uh, to for publishing uh, all at one time. But I'm working on it. I'm working on it. In fact, Tom, I'm working on a new book right now. That and I'm going to just skip ahead a little bit too, and I'll get back to this. I'm working on a new book now. I've done about eight chapters already, and I'm calling it a true crime fantasy. And basically what it is, is a way of taking my true crime stories, ones that several we've talked about, another that we hadn't talked about, and uh, and weaving them together with a um, kind of a, an overall, um, uh, I don't know, an, o- an overarching um, uh, place for these stories. And that is the fantasy part. And it has to do with um, the evil one, the devil, presenting himself in Brooklyn and creating chaos and um, and causing things to happen that he feels will undermine and tear at the fabric of, of what Brooklyn has become. And um, and the crimes that he is behind and he is he has incentivized are the cases that I've done and I'm putting them into that that kind of a, a, a setting. So we'll see if it works. I haven't um, I haven't pre-sold this. I'm going to write the entire book, and then uh, and then sell it. I have talked to a, one publisher who loves the idea, and uh, and she is um, is interested uh, in 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 doing something with it once I'm finished with it. So um, so this isn't the same yeah. as murder is my business, right? No, homicide is my homicide business. Is my business is completely finished. Okay, it is the story of a, of a Sicilian hitman who claims that he only killed people who deserve to be killed and came to the United States looking to become a man of honor. And, um, and in his world, a man of honor is a means of made man in the mafia. Um, he was, a, he was, a, if there can be, if this can be, um, a title, he was an excellent killer. He was a, he was, he was terrific at his job. It was his, the way that he presented himself and how he looked and the way that he spoke that I believe 
was the were the detriments to him being made becoming a made man in the Bonanno family, which is where he wanted to uh, you know to to kind of reside once he came to America. So that book is done. I've already it's actually probably on its way to the printer because I finished the last uh, edit of it with the with the publisher. I would say about three to four weeks ago. And the only thing left is we have to decide on a cover. But the title is Homicide is My Business. And um, and it will be out in the spring. I don't, have, I don't have a definitive date yet. So but we'll talk about that one. Yeah. Because that one, if you ha- will have me, that will, will generate probably three, four, or five of these podcasts because of oh, the yeah. stories that are in that in that book are just remarkable. Hell yeah. And, um, and, and he, he was tangentially involved with the people who were behind the, the murder of Pope John Paul the first. Um, and, and yeah, and I'll, I'll, I explain in the book why and how, but, um, but that's one of the kind of little tidbits that are, that are in the book. So, um, well, to, to go back to what you were first saying, I like the I like the sound of the other one you're writing about the devil coming to Brooklyn. It, it, anytime anytime someone kind of steps out of like their comfort zone and talks about things, you know, your books yeah. are stories about what you've done. I like that. I like that idea of like an entity coming to Brooklyn. You know, I have on Dale all the time, the Delta Force guy. But we've done a couple of podcasts where we talk about like meditations and kind of paranormal and it's it's always interesting right. to see someone who like dale like an expert you know delta force assassin it's always right. fascinating to hear kind of a different side a different you know what else are they interested in through what other lens do they view the world so i think that's really cool that you're writing that i, I like that thank you. thank you i like i like the idea um and i and i i i couldn't i believe it or not the publishers and my agent we're not necessarily interested in a book of short stories that were kind that would kind of be 60, 70 pages and an end, and then a new one would start, and then a new one would start. They they needed some some kind of uh, connection among the stories in order to to to, to uh, in their mind make it attractive to a reader who's who likes you know true crime. The crimes that I will have in this book are true; they happened, but I am now putting this this kind of incentive from the devil as being the, uh, you know, the the cause behind these crimes. And, um, and that, that gave me an opportunity to kind of weave them together, which I am, I'm about to, to get started on. I've done the first part of the book, which is the setup, you know, and, and, uh, and it does talk about a particular crime that I, that I was involved with. And, um, and now I'm going into, you know, the, 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 the second, third, fourth of these of these crimes, and the, the one little the one little hook is that the character um, is is his name is Michael Gioca, and Gioca loosely in Italian means gamble, and it's what kind of a, a what his his um, his his personality is, and I think I use him in one of the short stories. I, I don't remember which one it was. I I think it might have been the hand of the killer. Um, we use his name. We use that character, um, or by, I'm not sure, but I, I think that's the one. So Gioka um, is the, the setup is that he has convicted a, a law enforcement agent who's a very popular guy in law enforcement, and he convicted him of four murders, and this basically causes his boss, the DA, and law enforcement to uh, to basically treat him as a pariah. They didn't want 
They didn't want to have anything to do with him anymore because they felt that he was a traitor to law enforcement. So he's kind of out there on his on his own, and he's down and and out, and he he has to do something in his mind to, you know, to uh, to kind of get back into the good graces. And a case comes along involving the death of a young woman, and um, and it turns out, and I don't want to give anything away, but it turns out that this death of the young woman was basically a test. It was a devil a devil case. He didn't know it, but at the end. Um, he's recruited because he done he had done so well. He's recruited by a an agency that's been put together involving the Vatican and the Justice Department um, to fight the you know this evil uh, presence in in Brooklyn. So Fuck. so that's the. You know, I like that, it, man. You're selling me on it. I like yeah, it. I like. Good. I well, like it. I hope I can. I can sell your listeners and viewers to, oh, you, to buy it when it comes out. You will. I'll get them to. I'll bludgeon them. I. You know, listen. If I can't, if I can't get a publisher, I may just self-publish it. You know, and then do it, use yeah. use uh, you know forums like yours to yeah. you know to I'm down. to talk uh, it up. I'm so down. I don't, I'm I'm down for it. I don't give a shit. Yeah. Okay. Great. Step outside well, of it. Who cares? Yeah. So, so that's that's what I'm I'm in the process of doing. And um, but today I'm in the process of telling you the Thomas Parkin story, which um, is a uh, is as I said before, kind of on the lighter side from the things that I was normally doing. Um, and it's, it's a story that believe it or not, has its beginnings way back in 1996. Um, that's not when I got involved, but, um, but it's when the story starts and, and it involves two people, a mother and a son who, uh, were living together in a home that the mother owned in the Park Slope section of Brooklyn. And for those of you who don't know Park Slope, who are listening, who don't know Park Slope, it's a very affluent area, um, in Brooklyn. It's, uh, it's near the big park, Prospect Park. It's right off it. And it, um, the homes there are, um, are very, very, uh, expensive and there's a lot of wealthy people who live there. So that's, that's the setting. And, um, and she, the woman whose name is Mrs. Uh, Prusik, Irene Prusik, owned this home and, um, and at some point in 96, deeded the home, gave the home to her son, whose name was Thomas Parkin. And um, Parkin, <laughs> I, you know, Parkin is, was a character and is a character. He's still, he's alive, of course. And, um, and, but he fancied himself as this, you know, big, uh, you know, real estate entrepreneur and that he, you know, was going to take this now home that he owned and he was going to make it the centerpiece of this, this real estate empire. Um, but it didn't work out. And four years later, he had gotten into so much debt um, through the purchase of other properties, which went nowhere. He and his business partner, a guy named Romolo, um, made a lot of mistakes, bet on a lot of properties and, and basically lost, lost a lot of money. So to pay off his debt, he took a $200,000 mortgage on this home that his mother had deeded to him. And um, he figured that he'd take the $200,000, he'd invest it again, and he would pay off the mortgage and continue to live off this money that he would that he hoped was going to be generated from the use of this two hundred grand in back in the real estate business. Didn't work out that way because um, soon 
I would say within a couple of years, he could no longer make the mortgage payments. And he defaulted on the mortgage. And the home was sold, I think it was 2003, at a mortgage foreclosure auction. And these were held, believe it or not, and are held on the steps of the Supreme Court building in, in Brooklyn. It's unbelievable. Yeah, I used to run through past them. When I, was a, when I was a private attorney, I would go into the courthouse and I'd see this little group of people gathered on the steps of the courthouse. And, and the reason is because these auctions have to be public. Okay. They can't be, no one, I mean, it's not one of these insider trading thing. You can't do that. The, 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 the property is put up for auction. People can, can bid on it and it's got to be all done in public. And they do them on the steps of the courthouse. Um, so a guy by the name of uh, Samir Chopra, I believe his name was, purchased the property, right? So um, that year, 2003, Mrs. Prusik also passed away, coincidentally. It had nothing to do with the, with the home, the purchase of the home. And, um, his, uh, and the son, Thomas, <laughs> instead, of, instead of, you know, mourning his, his mother's death, he, he, was, he was a typical con man, Tom. He, um, he, he took the opportunity to begin <laughs> to impersonate his mother. Now, I'm sure that people are saying, well, how could some guy impersonate his mother? Well, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. You know what he did? He would, <laughs> he would dress and do literally dress up with his, like his mother, with her clothes, with her makeup, with her uh, jewelry. And he enlisted Romolo, his business partner, to pretend to be Mrs. Prusik's nephew to to give weight and to give validity to this impersonation. Well, I, I think it's I think it's important to go back and really before that happened though, like it does escalate. Like the thing is, is like oh, yeah, 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 yeah. the thing is, is like I, I, at yeah. first it starts very at first it starts as simply as just like you know returning mail as this person and kind of doing. It's like as simple as like if you, you know, logged into my computer and started emailing people as Tommy's podcast. Like it's it started right. out it, very like little. It actually starts out even before, you know, the mail situation is that what he did was when he when he had to bury his his mother, he gave the funeral home so that they so that no one would be able to know that the mother was dead. The body was turned over to the funeral home by Thomas and he gave a false name for his mother. He gave the funeral home a false um, social. social security number. He also had a death certificate that was a forgery, which he gave to the funeral home and the name, this fictitious name. And, um, and she was buried under these, this, these false names and these false, um, pieces of, of uh, pedigree. Um, so <laughs> he did not want the city or the state or the federal government to know that his mother had died. Why? Because once he had gotten past the funeral home and once he had gotten her buried, what he had done is he never notified any of these agencies that his mother had passed and they were still sending checks to his home. 
the home, by the way, that he didn't even own anymore, but he never left. He basically squatted in the home, and I'll get to that in a second. So he was getting Social Security checks in his mother's name. He was getting these uh, city assistance checks in his mother's name. And he, and he <laughs> pretending to be the mother, would at some point go and cash these checks and, and put them in, his, in, in an account in his mother's name, which he now had basically taken over. So um, he, he then does something else. He then, because the home he's living in is now is no longer in his name, the deed is now in the name of this guy Chopra. He starts to file lawsuits in his pretending to be the mother against Chopra. And his deal was this, the quote unquote mother, Mrs. Prusik, said that the deed that Chopra purchased or received at the auction sale was basically a forgery by her son. So the mother, the fake mother, basically said that Chopra bought the home from, and the deed that he received was a deed that her son had forged and put in his name, okay? And therefore, the sale was null and void because Chopra bought a home that had been stolen from her. Now, the point of this was, this guy, Thomas Parkin, was trying to nullify the legitimate sale of the home to Chopra, the, the mortgage sale of the home, or the, the default mortgage sale of the home. He was trying to get some court to say, oh yeah, you know what, that was a stolen uh, deed. The son is a piece of shit, excuse my expression. And, um, and the mother had the home stolen from her by her son. And of course, none of that was true. The mother deeded the home to Parkin, and he lost it. The sale was totally legitimate. The fraudulent, uh, I'm sorry, the mortgage sale was totally legitimate. So to add authenticity to the lawsuits, he enlisted this guy Romolo, the business partner, to pose as his mother's nephew and to swear that, you know what? Mrs. Parkin is correct. Thomas stole and forged that deed and stole that home from her and then it was purchased by Chopra, none of which was, was, was legitimate. Turns out, though, that, <laughs> that Parkin and Romolo were as bad in bringing these lawsuits as they were in the real estate business. Every single one of the lawsuits, and there were several, were dismissed by a judge. They didn't have the ability to, and nor did they have the evidence to, to, to show a judge that what they were trying to peddle was in fact correct. Judge didn't buy Romolo, didn't buy the, the paperwork that um, was filed. It, it, it never worked. So, but keep in mind now, Tom, from 2003 to 2008, when Chopra comes to the DA's office, comes to us, Parkin was still living in that house and Chopra was trying to get him out. He was trying to get him out, trying to get him out and he couldn't get him out. So finally he comes to the, to the rackets division uh, and he, and he complains that he's the subject of 
what he called criminal harassment because Chopra, I'm sorry, because uh, Parkin in the, in the guise of his mother, and of course Chopra believed, had no reason to believe that the mother wasn't alive, and her son, he came to us and said, Prusik, the mother, and the son were filing false affidavits against them in court, attempting to get back the house that he legitimately bought. And, um, and he complained to us, as I just said, this guy Parkin and his mother are still in the house. I can't get them out. They just won't leave. So the reason he came to us is very simple. We established during the, um, the Obama years when there was a, the crisis, the home mortgage crisis occurred where people were losing their homes because they had been sucked into these balloon type mortgages and couldn't pay after a year or two. And um, people were stealing uh, homes that it was, it's an easy steal, believe it or not. So we established a, a unit in our office in our division, my division, called the mortgage fraud unit. And these are the kinds of cases that we were getting. So Chopra came to us. Um, he told us all of the things that I'm telling you about the sale, about the mother, about the son. And of course, he didn't know that Mrs. Prusik was dead. He didn't know that Parkin had uh, kept her, quote unquote, alive. Um, so we started an investigation. Um, and as we, and, and by the way, I gave it the investigation to um, the investigators are financial investigators who I had a group of in the rackets division. They were all ex-IRS agents. So they knew their way around money. They knew their way around these kinds of, of these kinds of deals. So word got out that, that this was an investigation. And what happens one day, the guy, my law, um, the lawyer who I put in charge of this, the ADA comes to me and says, Mike, you're not going to believe this. You know, who's here parking. He came into the office to complain about Chopra. So he preemptively, to, to throw this investigation into total chaos, he reported that he and his mother were actually the victims of mortgage fraud. <laughs> that someone signed this deed and forged it and Chopra bought it and Chopra was involved in the, in the scam and he illegally sold their home. So now we had... <laughs> we had... Who was telling the truth? Because right now, at this point, we didn't know that Prusik, Mrs. Prusik, was dead. So who's telling the truth? Was it Chopra? Was it Parkin? Um, was his mother available to talk? So um, Parkin still stayed in the home, right? And, um, and he still collected. We figured roughly over six years... He had about $52,000 in monthly social security uh, payments that he stole from the federal government, about $65,000 from uh, in rental assistance or some other kind of human resources agency payment from the New York, from the city, all in the name of his, of his mother. And um, <laughs> he loved it. It was simple. Every month, this, dope would stay in the house. We'd collect the social security checks. He gave a little bit to Romolo and, um, and then he, he, he tried to fool us into thinking that he was, he was the victim. It turns out obviously he wasn't that we, and the more we got into this investigation, 
the more my guys discovered that um, the social security number was false, very easy to check. Just call social security and check the number. The date of birth for this fictitious woman was a complete false date of birth. No death, I'm sorry, no birth certificate existed, nothing. He just made up a name, made up a date, but we were able to put the lie to that. And the death certificate was we we were able to get an expert to tell us that it was it was false it was a forgery so we started to now understand that parkin was hiding his mother's death and um and he did it for many many different reasons the most of them were money reasons many 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 dollar reasons i should say yeah social security Um, checks just year in and out yeah yeah now we also then learned that parkin with romolo's help (laughs) would apply in person for assistance with the city he would he would dress as i said before in a wig dark glasses his mother's clothes his mother's jewelry and he would literally go to city agencies dressed this way to file for papers, you know, file for, for assistance from the city, and he pulled it off. We, <laughs> we were able to, so we also did one other thing. We started checking um, what you would normally check, things like, as I said before, birth certificate, social security number, uh, death certificate, but also we were told that he, that Mrs. Parkin, I'm sorry, Mrs. Prusik had a driver's license. So now we said to ourselves, well, if we believe that Mrs. Prusik is dead, how is she getting a a renewed driver's license? Because we found out that there was a recent renewal of her driver's license. So thank God for security cameras. We were able to go to DMV. We figured out when he went or when she went to DMV in Brooklyn. (laughs) DMV meaning the Department of Motor Vehicles. And there is a, we found a video. Fucking Miss Devlire. Of Parkin (laughs) posing as his mother, approaching the counter at the Department of Motor Vehicles with Romolo, her nephew, holding her arms so that she can make it to the counter, dressed to the nines, Tom. Wig, dark glasses, her clothes, um, makeup. She, he did makeup, too, to make sure that, you know, that, every, that he could fool everyone. And he renewed, renewed her driver's license um, with the assistance of her quote-unquote nephew, this guy, Romolo. Listen, if you're going to convince, if you're going to go for a crime, I mean, I got to give him credit for dedication, right? Chopra goes and and files a complaint. No, you one up him and go and file a complaint back. If you're going to impersonate, stop with the emails, put on a dress and some glasses and lipstick. I mean, if you're going to do it, go all in. If you're going to go like Ocean's Eleven, you got to go full. Don't (laughs) don't half ass it. Like. Exactly. Hey, yeah. Tom, let me tell you something. Look, we're not in the in the business. We weren't in the business of admiring criminals. But we said to ourselves, man, this guy has gone to the nth degree to pull this fraud off, you like, know? And like, um, Just join the CIA. 
Like you, you could be doing this shit on the on Uncle Sam's dime. Like go, fu- go, go work overseas. You could be an yeah. undercover guy and amazing. And he was. This guy had the gift of gab, man. He was he was good at what um, at what he, he's good with the with the you know with statements and with the talking and with he was just he was just good at it. So we decided then we said, listen, man, we got to start putting the screws to this guy. So we said to him. We want you to come into the office so that we can take a statement from you on videotape in which, um, and and we wanted to, we did this for a reason. We wanted him to come in and tell us his story, tell us what the crime was because he had made the complaint, but he never made the complaint on tape. So now we were trying to kind of put the screws to him plus it also was important for us to have this evidence later on in the event that we were going to be able to indict him and have and, and arrest him. So um, we asked them, we said, you know, would you come into our office and give us a, a videotape statement of what happened with Chopra, your mom's house and you? Okay, the guy you would think, maybe he would think twice now and say, well, you know, I don't know if I wanna do that, not Thomas. He came into the office and he was interviewed by our ex-IRS agents and the ADA who was in charge of our of our unit. And he was, they said to me afterwards, Mike, he said, this guy is good. CIA He's material. compelling. I'm telling you, CIA. He's compelling. He laid out the fraud done to him and his mother by Chopra. He said Chopra forged Parkin's name to, on this deed. And Parkin was uh, basically not successful, but was good at selling this bullshit. He was just good. He was a perfect con man. He was very good at it. But now, now they said to me, but Mike, here's what we want to do. And they did it. They came in while they were, he was still there. They came in to me, talked to me about it. Talk, we talked it over. And they said, we want him now to bring his mother. We want him to bring his mother into the office so that we can hear what she has to say about the fraud. Because now we started to get suspicious. And we figured if the mother was a was a was a fiction of this guy's imagination or a you know a, a, a phony person like we which we thought, then um, this was going to be the way to uh, to kind of you know root it out. So I said, go ahead, ask him. I mean, this guy's going to say, are you crazy? I'm not bringing my mother in here. She's too old. She's some gave some experience, some, some excuse. They came back after he left. I said, what did he say? He said, yeah, he's going to, he'll let us interview his mother. <laughs> I almost fell out of my chair, Tom. I said, are you kidding me? He, he's going to let, he said, but wait a second, Mike. He doesn't want to bring his mother into the uh, into the office. He wants us to go out to the mother's home because you know she's in, of ill health and um, you know she she can't travel. Now, we didn't know what was in store for us, but we still had the idea that if this mother and he are in the same room, well then Chopra's a liar. Yeah, Prusik might actually be alive. Correct. If they're not in the same room, well, then we 
have our feelings will be, you know, kind of ratified. So a date was set by our investigators uh, to meet Mrs. Prusik at her home. And um, we told Parkin, we told him that we would be videotaping the interview. And of course, this didn't scare him away. He said, okay, you know, no problem. So now, of course, I'm telling you what the detectives told me later and, and in what I saw for myself on the video. So when they get there to his home, to her home, Romolo is there and he's the kind of the host. He ushered them into a room. <laughs> I laugh at this even when I, I retell it after all these years, where Parkin and they were certain now that it was Parkin, or where Mrs. Quote unquote, Mrs. Prusik was sitting in, on a couch or in a chair, dressed with a red cardigan sweater, makeup, real red makeup, lipstick, I should say, manicured nails, Tom, manicured nails, dark glasses, her hair nicely done, The new addition, however, was this. Romolo tells my investigators that she has to be, she has to have an oxygen mask on her face because, and over her nose because of her illness. Now, of course, that was to disguise several things, to make it a little bit more difficult to figure out. Dental, right? I mean, you can't fake teeth. The the teeth, the voice. You know, so I saw this interview. They interviewed Mrs. Prusik and she told the told the whole bullshit story about the house having been stolen from her, that her son's name forged on the deed, that she wanted her home back and she wanted it free and clear and that Chopra should be locked up and, and thrown and the key thrown away because he stole her home. I watched this videotape and it was it was hilarious because we now knew <laughs> we now knew that obviously he this was this was parking. So what my investigators did while they were still at the home, they said uh, to Romolo, um, by the way, um, is uh, is Thomas Parkin here? Is he around the house because We'd like to speak to him to clear up some things that were, quote unquote, not so clear from Mrs. Prusik. We had difficulty hearing her. (laughs) Romolo was great at this as well. He's a con man as well. He said, gentlemen, um, unfortunately, Mr. Parkin had some business to take care of out of the home and he's not here, but I will make sure that I give him the message that you need to speak to him to clear up some of these these issues that um, that Mrs. Prusik uh, was unable to to you know to to uh, elucidate the way that she should have. That was it. That was the but that was the seal on this. I'm just this I'm just thinking of how, like it's yes, it's all undeniably insane. But then it takes on a different level when you realize it's like, well, what was it that they were you know. Was this that they were the heirs to like a four hundred million dollar estate in the Hamptons? It was just a right. fucking home. 
It wasn't yep. even like it wasn't even like Jay Leno's car collection or something. No, it was but just a home. Right, but here's the thing, Tom. You're correct. <laughs> but remember, in the beginning, I told you what kind of a neighborhood. Yeah. Park Slope was okay. Yeah. So keep in mind now, 1996 was when when the home was deeded to Thomas. Yeah. Now talking about 2008, 2009, 2010, while well, the investigation, the the real estate prices and the real estate value okay. in Park Slope was now the home. He got a two hundred thousand dollar mortgage. The home is probably worth over a million, a million and a okay. half. Maybe. All right, so it's not, so okay. it's not change. All right, correct, All correct. Right. All right, two shots. So, um, so, so, <laughs> the guys got back to the office. They came in. They're laughing. Mike, you're not going to believe this, and we're going to show you the video. But they, then they tell me the story that I just told you, that Parkin was was dressed as his mother, pretending to be his mother, and um, and clearly clearly to the guys who were there and, and actually interviewed him. Oh, and the idea that Parkin was not home, so they couldn't get the two of them in the same room together. Why? Because there were no two of them. There were there was only that, one. That's where, he, that's where he fucked up. Why didn't he get someone else to dress up? Um, he didn't think that far ahead. Well, no, he had come into the office. So we would have, oh, why didn't he get someone well, else to dress up? When they came mom? to the house and he could be sitting yeah. there next to his mom. Correct. I mean, it seems like a, I mean, you're already oh. this far in. Why wouldn't you just right. go on Craigslist? He could have. But you know something? The only one that he tr he trusted was Romolo. And Romolo had been playing the role of the nephew. Yeah. So that was what uh, what what the problem was. But you're correct. And, um, and the, the con man didn't figure out that he didn't expect us now my guys are really sharp. He didn't yeah. expect them to ask for to see him and her at the same time. You know? I mean, you you gotta think that through though. Like you've got to, right? I mean, that's I mean, that's that's missed out fire, right? You have them both together. Like I mean, that's Listen, the thing, right? Bring them in together in the same room. I mean, he criminals. It, yeah. Thank God, criminals make mistakes. Otherwise, yeah. we'd never solve any crimes. And they're not they're not geniuses. He was good. But he missed this. He missed this. This would not have gone over very well if he was in the sting, you know, with um, with with Redford and uh, and um, uh, oh, the name escapes me now. Who who the other person was in the sting? But at a, at um, a certain point, you know, it's like Frank Abagnale kind of getting like brought on by the FBI. Man, at a certain point, I mean, you gotta almost want to like forward the like the the manila folder with the document you almost want to like forward it to langley and be yeah. like hey this guy is committed he doesn't blink in the face of being interrogated right maybe maybe you want to put him overseas tom i watched that i i watched that video he had it down he had the story down right he uh look to the to the to the un um you know uneducated eye so to speak they would have fooled that that video would have fooled the to that person it would have fooled them yeah, because it got me he had and with that and the and it was i'll tell you what was a nice touch that oxygen mask really was a nice touch That's because brilliant. that kind of disguised the other things that we talked about that would have would have blown the whole thing open well, so also sitting in the chair that does a lot because that that removes similar gait or posture i mean correct Correct, correct, and she and the the sweater and the, the whole nine yards. Now, so we had we had the videotape at the at the um, 
the DMV. We had this videotape. We had the them check, you know, I told you before, the social security number faults, the death certificate faults, the, um, the, um, uh, what was the other thing? I forgot. Driver's license. The driver's license being false. So, so the, what was left Yeah. is I didn't want to keep, I didn't want to have any, any holes. I said, listen, guys, go to, go to the cemetery where this fictitious woman is buried and let's see if, you know, that name, whatever it was, I forgot what the name was that he had given to her, is there, is buried at the cemetery. And sure enough, they went, and it was a, tomb, a tombstone in the cemetery, in the name of the person, the, the fake Mrs. Prusik's name was on that tombstone. So now we were absolutely positively certain that um, that he was, um, you know, he was, he was a liar. And he, and he, did this whole thing, this forgery to, um, you know, to, to continue to get money and to get that house back because it was, it was worth a lot of money. I'm telling you. So, you know, um, he wanted to continue getting the social security checks, the city checks, you know, whatever the welfare check that his mother was getting. So we had enough. I went to the grand jury. We indicted him for grand larceny, mortgage fraud, um, Romolo was also indicted for his role acting in concert. And, uh, and then the case was assigned to a judge. <laughs> Romolo, I'll, I'll, I'll make it quick now. Romolo doesn't test the, uh, the, the jury system. He, he says, I, I'm pleading guilty because he got a good deal. The gig is out. He got, he got, he pled guilty to grand loss and he sentenced to three years in jail. Okay. Not a not a, a, a an insignificant sentence, but he knew what he was facing if he went to trial and and got um, you know and, and was convicted. Um, about a year later, or maybe six months later, Parkin goes to trial. Now, here's a very interesting part of the story. Parkin's in Rikers Island, right, awaiting trial, and. Um, and I, I come home one night to my apartment in the Carroll Garden section of Brooklyn. It's an old, old neighborhood, all small, um, like two, three-story houses, all owned by, you know, some of them were rentals, some of them were owned, but they all had these little stoops in front. And I parked my car, my office car, I would say about, um, about five or six of these houses away from my, my home. <laughs> and I start... It's, it's evening. It's probably around, um, not more than evening. It's nighttime. It's probably around 11 o'clock at night and it's dark. Uh, we had like one, one street light was out and I'm walking down toward from my car down towards my home. And as I'm walking, I always kept my eyes open and, 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 and was aware of my surroundings. And I see a guy from across the street from where I, my home is, diagonally coming across the street towards me. There's no one else on the street, Tom. No one. Me and this unknown guy. I had never seen the guy before. And he diagonally, and I say to myself, oh, shit, now what? Like, what do I have in my hands? I got basically my folder. I, I didn't know what. Uh, so I started to kind of think about how I was going to handle this because I knew that something was up. This guy, I mean, he was... 
I'm not going to lie to you. I mean, it, it really kind of set me off because um, sure. uh, I didn't know what was going to happen. So I get to about where my my stoop is, this four or five steps leading up to my apartment. And this guy now crosses and comes right up to me. And here's what he says to me. Counselor. Now, for those of your listeners and viewers who don't understand that, when someone calls that calls an attorney that in in this world the world that i was in that was not a put down but it was um it was a very um i don't know it's a it, it was a way of referring to someone that um a lawyer instead of calling him by his name it was it was it's hard to describe what the feeling is but it was not a friendly uh you know a friendly sure. greeting sure so I said, yeah, um, who are you? <laughs> he, says, he says, I think I, I'll make up a name because I don't remember his name. He says, uh, I, I, I'm Dominic from across the street. I'm your neighbor. I said, Dominic, I never saw you around here. What do you want with me? He goes, um, are you the guy that um, that's prosecuting that guy who dressed up like his mother and stole all that money? I said, yeah. Thinking to myself, oh, is this Parkins got somebody to come sure. and, you know, do something? I said, yeah, why? He says, I'm a correction officer. And that guy is in my, on my block and in my wing. He says, when are you going to convict him and send him away because he's the biggest pain in the ass that we have in the jail? He makes trouble all the time for everybody. I said, oh, I mean, I kind of let out a sigh of relief. I laughed. I tell you, Tom, it was, I, I was laughing off the street. I said, yeah, I know, I know, I know. It's coming, don't worry. His, his trial is starting soon. We're gonna get him out of your head. He goes, oh, thank you, thank you. He said, you have no idea what a problem this guy is. And none of the guys, none of my fellow officers wanted to deal with this guy. And I seem to get stuck with him all the time and I can't stand him. I said, patience, yeah. we'll, we're, we're getting it. We're, we're good. <laughs> it, so I was thinking, oh yeah, I was thinking if he's, if he's buying into, if he's going all in, right, he's, he's going both feet in. He's not, he's not dipping his toes in. He's full on doing a cannonball to take this thing. You think that they would eventually you, you cut your losses and you don't plead I would say beforehand, what you do is you cut your losses and you say, my mother just passed away last night. And then you go, you know, uh, maybe she wasn't telling the truth and maybe this home is trope. At a certain point. Yeah, there are ways of getting around it, but his he, ego was too. Man, they could have just could have just said she was dead. He couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. His, his, his ego, I mean, yeah. he just, he was just basically saying to us, listen, fuck you. I'm going to beat you guys. Yeah. He was, you know, these guys have, he has, these con men believe that they can that they con themselves out of everything. And he was going to do it in a courtroom. Yeah. So the case goes to trial. <laughs> it, it, the whole, we put the whole case in and um, the jury deliberated for less than a day. And of course, what do you think happened? He gets convicted. Jury didn't buy his, you know, his, his bull crap. And, um, and he is now, you know, now stuck. So on the sentencing day, sentencing day, the judge 
says to him, this is how he, he began his, his little spiel before he pronounced sentence. He said, Mr. Parkin, you're an amazing character. And that said it all. And then he lowered the boom. He sentenced them to 13 and a half to 41 years in jail. Jesus. Is that, that was, that was unbelievable to us. I have had guys who killed people who didn't get 41 years in jail. Um, what and you, what do you think Parkin got, what's that? What do you think that was? Was it all the fraud, all the social security fraud? Yeah. Oh yeah, that, yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Is that what? Yeah, what gave him forty-one as opposed to like, like you've talked about murderers who maybe get like seven? Yeah, I'm not sure. Oh no, what that was was he. The judge was adding. So this crime carried maybe five to fifteen, and then another crime carried, you know, uh, eight years. So he put all of the crimes together, all of the sentences together, and he, and that's what he came up with. I'm sure. I am sure that part of what was in the judge's mind was the way that Parkin acted and handled himself at the trial. I, I'm positive that that's why. And, and the judge at that time also keep in mind, the mortgage fraud problem and theft of homes in Brooklyn was exploding. That's true. And, and you had, the judge had to send a message. That's had true. To send a message. Yeah. Listen, this is how easy it is. You could get a guy like him to go into to go into the 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 city um, register's office, get all the information necessary from a home because these are public records. The deeds are public records, and and get a blank quit claim deed. It's a very simple piece of paper. Fill it all out. All the information that you that you need to fill out. Forge it, saying that Tom Carrigan, the real owner gave and to on this quit claim deed to Mike Vecchione and he could ha he had forged papers. Do you think the city is going to check every single piece of paper when he again gets the re city registered to stamp it? And now he's got a deed that he can now take to a bank and say, I need a mortgage on this. I need, you know, whatever it is and use that as collateral for all kinds of, of, um, of, of, uh, uses collateral for all kinds of loans. Yeah. Now the loans will never get paid back. Of course, he's got the money in his pocket and they take off. That's how easy it was and was happening to people back then. Um, there were, we would have people come into our office. It's people who own their home for 35, 40 years, elderly people who would come in and say, Mr. Vecchione, I, my, my house is gone. Some guy came and knocked on my door and said that I have to get out because he owns my house. Said, I never stole, I never sold his my house to this guy. He had some kind of paper. He showed it to me and now he wants me out. And they're kicking me out of my house. We had that, I can't tell you how many times, Tom. Yeah. Oh, you know, um, and, and the other the other scam was that these mortgage companies were getting people to take these balloon mortgages where you would pay a little bit at the beginning of first year, second year. And then they, they would balloon into payments that were way beyond 
what a guy could uh, could pay, and they would fall into foreclosure. But the whole thing was a scam to begin with because they never had these people who were who were taking these loans out never had the um, you know the collateral the 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 work record anything like that to get a legitimate mortgage. These mortgage companies were doing it so they could steal the house basically at the uh, at the end of the uh, at the end of the term. So. Um, so that's, I think, was what was in the judge's mind. In addition to Parkin being a Damn complete pain in the ass. Yeah. I mean, I can't. And look, the proof of the pudding is in the tasting, right? The guy who was a was the correction officer had nothing to do with any of these cases. Comes and tells me that he, yeah. I need to get this guy out of his hair because he's such a a, a, a pain in the ass, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I guess it does make sense, right? Because it's right after 08, right? Worst economic downturn since since Correct. since the Great Depression, Correct. and it's yeah. Correct. Maybe you're sending it. It's you're sending a message, and it's yeah. And this yep. is, and he did real world damage, right? I mean, not to say that a murder isn't real world damage, but here's a guy who not only did this, but was also gaming the system, right? Social Security, getting the welfare checks, getting this, fucking people out of their more. It might. You know, it's like the anthrax scare a couple months after 9-11 and like the hammer of the entire national security apparatus comes down on anyone who is doing anything. And it's like right. a couple months after 9-11 and now some assholes mailing anthrax spores. And it's like now is not the time. Right. You know. Yeah, exactly. You know? Exactly. Yeah. And, and and think about how important it was to this guy and how 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 clever he thought he was by basically going to these city agencies dressed like his dead mother. Well, it um, also and, poses and, future danger. What else is this guy? He's clearly this guy doesn't correct. back down. You know, correct, correct. And I'm sure that when and if he gets out, um, uh, will somebody, some agency, some prosecuting agency will hear from Thomas Parkin again. You yeah. know, um, and uh, you know, and Romolo also not. I don't want to say helped us. I don't think he testified, but Romolo basically, when he pled guilty, gave it all up. So I mean, we were, we, and he did it before the trial. So we were, you know, we we were certain that we were on on strong grounds. And when anyone saw, when we played those videos in the courtroom to the jury, I mean, it was, it's very apparent when you start out by telling him that this is what they should be looking for, that um, it was, you know, it was a guy who was disguising himself as his mother. And our investigator, the guy, the guy who was, who was really the, the one behind us, a guy named Vinny Verlezzo, ex-IRS uh, agent, the nicest guy that you ever want to meet, Tom. He has such a great way with the jury in terms of explaining the investigation and explaining to them how he was able to determine that this was basically uh, Parkin dressing up as his mother. I mean, Vinny was, was terrific. And, and, uh, you know, the jury obviously realized that, um, that this was not some, you know, some scamming cop looking to just get anybody and put him in jail. He knew that they knew that, you know, Vinny was was right on the money. So, yeah. um, so Parkin is um, Parkin was a, a case. You know, one of those things that I'll never forget. You know, and it was um, it, it. We had shortly after this. Not that it's the same kind of thing, but we had another kind of con um, that I did write about. And I think we've already talked about it. Is the the, the dentist who was stealing. Know the bones and tissue yeah, out of yeah. out of cadavers, and he was the con. There was that he was selling, he was forging death certificates and and sending 
you know, clean blood down to these processing companies in the South who will process bone and tissue to use in transplanting, you know, in transplant um, operations, et cetera. So, uh, you know, these guys, the more that they practice at this, and if they're good looking and uh, speak well, then they're gonna, they're gonna be very, you know, they're gonna be very successful. And, uh, and Parkin was one of those guys. And, 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 you know, and Romolo too, I had to tell you, Romolo was like, a, was like an actor. He had the kind of the air of, of, uh, you know, a stage actor. He, you know, the way that he spoke and he was so debonair and so suave, that kind of thing. Um, keep in mind, he was the guy who basically had, to, was putting the, in his mind, the truth to the story of Prusik and Parkin. I mean, that, he was the, you know, the, the guy who validated it in their minds. And um, he was good at it. He was good at it. And he's lucky he only got three years. Yeah. But, but he, was not, he was not keeping the money. Yeah. You know, he was probably getting a, some cut from, from Parkin, but he was not the guy who was, who was keeping all of the, uh, you know, the, and was not the guy signing the papers to, uh, to collect illegally, you know, the social security checks and all the rest. So Parkin was lucky that the, uh, that the feds let us do this case because the social security scam fraud would, and the fraud would have probably cost, uh, cost him a lot more in terms of time. Yeah. But 41 years is, is, is a pretty good, uh, it's a pretty good sentence. So, um, it's a good lesson for people. And, uh, you know, when we, I would say that, I think it was probably 2013, the last year that we were at the DA, Mr. Hines was the, was the district attorney. CBS came to us and, uh, and wanted to do a, a series, a six part, I think it was six part, six part series called Brooklyn DA. And they wanted to, you know, us to have, to come up with the cases and they were going to, and we would do, um, the guys who handle the cases would do talking. In some situations, we were able to, we're in the middle of investigation, and we allowed the cameras to be part of the investigation so that they, the, you know, as it was going on, they would see what was happening. And, uh, and the parking case was, um, was one of the ones that uh, when we told them about it, they jumped all over at CBS. They said, oh, we got to have that. That's got to be part of this. And they, of course, played the videotape play the videotape at the DMV and, um, and they, uh, and, and it was a, it was a good part of the story that the, of the series, that was one of the, the stories that they, they liked the best. So, um, so Parkin was, you know, Parkin was one of these things, one of these guys who won't, uh, won't be forgotten by me. That's for sure. You know? So it's, uh, it's almost a shame that, you know, that guy or the dentist or, you know, it's almost a shame if they just took that ingenuity and like, don't take no for an answer and like find yeah. the way to get it done mindset. I mean, that's the, they're so close to the same mindset of like wildly successful CEOs. Correct. Right. I mean, correct. Like Elon Musk starting a car company during a recession or, you know, Steve jobs, you know, getting booted from the company you started then coming back. Like, these these are the mindsets of a Tom Brady of a of a someone that doesn't give up and will bend the world to get it done, but they they pigeonholed themselves with fraud. And it's like you took can... the easy... and in their minds took the easy way out. Why work hard 
when I can scam my way to uh, to money. Well, you it's it's got to be part of it, right? There's probably a different high to knowing that you're deceiving people as opposed yeah, to you're, yeah. you're, you know, getting an IPO on your business or something. And greed is quite a motivator. You know, it's um, it's it's really a, an amazing thing. With the, with the dentist, this is a guy who graduated from Villanova. Then he got a master's degree. Then he got his... his his um his dental uh degree and dental license and he was a he was a well very well respected dental surgeon um and he um you know but the problem with him see here's where he where what he went bad was that he became addicted to drugs to the drugs that he was actually using in his um in his uh in his surgery demerol and, mm-hmm. and that was his downfall, you know. Had he not allowed himself, or was not weak, was so weak to get himself uh, addicted to this, um, he would have uh, he would have been extremely successful at the job and at the profession that he studied for, um, you know. And uh, it's it's uh, it was a shame. And this guy was good looking guy. He was a football player at Villanova. I mean, oh, Villanova was not Division sure. One, but Division, but it has a, a has a um, has a, a good football program. He was the, a good football player, a great football player, from what I was told, and um, and was this good-looking guy, is smart, and uh, and you know, and and the drugs were his downfall. I'm sure with Parkin, it was just simply greed, you know, simply greed. And and you know, you could say, oh, maybe he was disappointed at his his uh, his his attempts to become, you know, a real estate baron didn't work out and that, you know, he was angry at himself for that or angry at the world for that. I don't know. But the bottom line is he tried to, he compounded his, his misdeeds by coming to us and trying to fool us. Like we were stupid, you know, that we would, we would just simply fall for his, um, you know, his, his impersonation of uh, of his of his mother. Well, he figured that you know we don't know we didn't know what his mother looked like, right? So you know we had no idea until we started to do the things that investigators do to check to see whether or not the things that you are filing, the things you are telling us, the things that are there to to look at are in fact correct and not simply forgeries. You know, yeah. so um, probably if he was a little smarter as opposed to being clever, he would have, um, he would not have, have done what he had done. His downfall was the idea of being, he, he was so um, egotistical that when we said to him, we'd like to have your mother testify. Oh, well, of course yeah. that was an ego thing. Yeah. Same thing with him, Yeah, you know, and him going to the, DMV dressed as his mother and to the city agencies and to the federal agencies dressed as his mother, all ego is I'm sure in his mind, he was saying these people are, who are they? They're so stupid. They're not anywhere close to my mentality. You know, that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. So yeah. Which, yeah. Which is ultimately the downfall. Yeah. 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 So it was, um, uh, it was, it's a, it's a, a good case. And you could see why I said at the beginning that this was a lighter, uh, case as opposed to you know the one we talked about last time with the the death of the woman on the boardwalk and the, and the oh all things considered it's they, hands down the lightest story we've done maybe up there with like the maraschino cherries but the red even, beads. Even, yeah. even that was 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 
well, even that you could say that was like you know kind of like drug trafficking. Now, this is probably the lightest. Story. All things considered, yeah, yeah, I'd yeah, say this is the lightest story. It's and, uh, and the reason that I always talk about it or want to talk about it is because of the you know the the, the idea of this guy trying to pull off the fact that his mother was still alive after he buried her and that he tried to do that by disguising himself as as weekended Bernies. I mean, again, it's the mindset is like, if you're going to go, I mean, I know I keep saying this and sure, you know, it wasn't just a nothing home. It was a home and, you know, New York real estate, right? Always going to be worth more. But man, if if you're going to go this deep, like at least try to, at least try to pull like an Enron or something. You know, I try to get a, you're from Bernie Madoff, try to get a couple billion out of it. Like if you're going to go this deep, I mean, I mean, go take gold. Don't take bronze. It. I, I have found that there are no perfect crimes, but these guys still strive to to do that. They think that uh, that they will pull it off. Yeah, you know? it's it's got to be and, it's got to be the rush. It's yeah, you, the ego of right. I mean, a dollar right. I mean, a dollar one is better than a dollar earned. It's it's yeah, and you know, and to him, the guy believe it, the guy had nothing. So I mean, being able to get back a a home that was probably worth, as I said to you before, by that time, you know, over a million dollars is. Um, you know, it was something that uh, he needed to do. He needed to, to try to get it, you know. Yeah. So he wasn't satisfied with scamming the government out of, uh, you know, close to 100 grand in, over the course of several years. So, you know, um, it's, I'm thank, we have to be thankful. We, when I was in law enforcement, would say we have to be thankful for their, you know, these guys are not, not geniuses. They're not. There are no, you know, there are no criminals like that. No matter how smart they believe they are, there's always a, a mistake that they make. And and it's our job. It was my job to find that mistake, you know, and uh, and exploit it. And and we did. And this one, it was it was pretty easy, you know. So, but you imagine. I, we also found out one other thing about him. What he had, <laughs> he 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 was so I guess egotistical that he he didn't have his um the funeral he was a not funeral but the the uh, wake for his mother was an open wake i mean he he i don't understand how he thought that you know he'd be able to to have this open wake and um and still pull this off but he got pretty far from the time his mother died until the time we he went to jail um scamming everybody you know so um, you know, maybe I, I know I've said this many times, but the ego is a is a real a real issue with guys like this. You know, so. yeah. Maybe he's not CIA material. No, uh, no, 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 no. Yeah. I know. I'm realizing that as I go on, I'm like, you know, you the CIA yeah. material guys are the guys that there aren't stories about because they never got caught. Exactly. They never got caught, and then they're like, yeah. hey, you want to come serve your country? Yeah. No, yeah. not this moron. Um, yeah. <laughs> Mike, let's wrap this one up, and uh, I'll text you. And as always, we'll schedule the next one. And uh, terrific. And again, for everybody listening, if you uh, if you would like much much darker stories than these, uh, Crooked Brooklyn and Friends of the Family, or as you co-authored Behind the Murder Curtain, all of which are just cavalcades of of horror and and murder and rape and extortion and butchering bodies and crushing skulls and yeah, it's uh, exactly, and and the two and the two short stories available on Amazon, which is "Handed a Killer, Killer" and "Murder on the Bridge." bridge. I'll put talk those. about dark 
the ark story. You talk about are, real like evidence of like, yeah, of yeah, Satan. I mean, that's it, right? I mean, that's yeah. I mean, you some of the stories you tell. It's I mean, you really start to look at it. And you're like, you know, you're like, are there you know, are there dark forces in the world? Because you look at this guy, right? Fraud, and you're like, yeah, yeah, he's going after money. But it's I mean, that's as old as humans itself, right? I mean, follow the money. Some of the stories, though. I mean, I know for me have have actually made me, you know, a, a lot of podcasts I've done with a lot of different guests has sort of led me to start praying again. I'm not even kidding. Uh, primarily with Charlie Duke, who walked on the moon, you know, he talked about it. And that kind of was one of the things that kind of got me, you know, obviously losing a brother. These are all things that kind of move me back towards establishing some sort of relationship with God. Um, good. Whatever, whatever it may be, and I'm not trying to proselytize or like sling anything in it. Whatever you find, you know, maybe it's yours, Buddha, Allah. I don't give a shit, whatever. But you know, and then there are some stories where you're like, I mean, is you know, is there actual, you know, is there the Delta Force guys and they tell stories and it's, you know, finding homes with like you know young girls like blindfolded and like in rooms with on the floor covered with their own shit and piss and they're eight years old and they're chained to a wall and they're a sex slave at a certain point you're like this isn't enron or bernie madoff at a certain point and hand of the killer or not hand of the killer um murder on the bridge is one of those where it's what i'm getting at is you start to go i mean is this just a crime you're like or is this is this evil is there like a spiritual aspect to it you're like is this is this demonic like is this if you remember from that story, I do say that to me, Raymond Vargas, who was the, the, was the, the defendant, the killer, was the devil. And um, I mean, the way to, to me, what caused me to do that is the barbarity of what he did to this young woman for nothing. He thought that he was going to rob her. But then to kill his best friend. Yeah. Who That's- had an older guy who he had been depending on to help him out to from with money with a place to, to stay with, with food to kill him. Um, that's to me is exactly why I called him that. And it's kind of was always here in my head and it gave me the idea of, you know what, maybe this will work as far as this, what I call that true crime fantasy, you know? So, yeah, I mean, it, yeah, I mean, at, at a certain point, it's, you know, it's like the soldiers liberating the concentration camps. Like, war is hell, but there was something about that that was like, what the fuck is this? It's, right. I think there are aspects of that, and you know, and I don't know. I'm 31. I certainly don't have the answers to the universe, but in my short time on this earth, yeah, at a certain point, you start looking at things, and you're like, what is just a money grab, right? What is 2008? What's scamming, you know, whatever? What's a Ponzi scheme? And what is just like a dark force? Who knows? Who knows? But uh, yep. I'm I'm covering my bases and uh, saying a prayer. <laughs> I don't need this shit in my life. Get that I'll shit. I'll say out of a here. couple of prayers for you as well. Thank right? you, That's sir. It. And I'll say them back to you, right. Mr. Mike Vecchione. Put all the all books right, Tom, in the description. Thanks very much. Obviously, always, yeah. man. It's always a pleasure. Me. I always love having you on, man. And uh, I'll shoot you a text sometime today. And uh, we'll schedule the next one. And uh, yeah, all your writings, everything will be in the description as always. I promise you'll enjoy them. And go back and listen to these podcasts that I've done with Mr. Vecchio, and they're all blessed. And uh, until next time, brother.
Take, Take care, care, Mike. God Happy bless. Happy Thanksgiving. You as well, man. Thank you. Recording stopped.